What a great message to that song. And of course, the song comes from that wonderful name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as we're studying our way through the book of Ephesians, um, you'll see as we go through this morning, that is one of the major blessings. In fact, uh, really, Paul points it out as he's talking to these Ephesian believers, and he, he tells them, he's telling them, remember, this is what you have. This is, these are the riches that you have in Christ. And, um, and one of the riches that he's going to point them to or draw their attention to is the reality that Jesus Christ lives within you. He lives within you. And so as you go about your week, um, you're not alone. And when trials come into your life, you're not alone. And when you lack wisdom, in fact, you will find that you have the wisdom that you need because... Emmanuel, God with us, actually is Christ living in us and through us. We have everything that we need. And it is a a glorious truth that Paul is drawing out from this passage. Last week, as we were studying here in chapter 3 of Ephesians, we were reminded that Paul, as he pointed out to us, that you've been enlightened, is what he was telling us. Uh, You know. You know what you need to know. And... uh, you, we, 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 we understand now what used to be a mystery, you remember, in, in the Old Testament. Nobody knew this was going to happen uh, outside of God. Um, in fact, we're going to see, I think even this morning, that the angels did not even know what God had planned. It was a mystery to them as well. They didn't even know. And, uh, and we're going to see that that the angels are actually, um, well, they're being, they're, they were educated to some degree, or they were enlightened themselves, and, and they were able to see the manifold wisdom of God, just how wise God is when they were able to see the church birthed, and Jew and Gentile baptized into one body, the body of Christ, and Christ living within them both as one. And the angels stand back and say, wow, God is wonderful. He is wise. His wisdom is above all, uh, all others. And so even the angels were ignorant of that. But Paul told, tells us, and he was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you, you understand. And you remember he told them in verse number one, he said, I'm a prisoner for this truth for you. I'm in prison because I'm not willing to not say anything. And, and he was. The Jews hated the Apostle Paul. Uh, they wanted him dead because he was ruining everything from their perspective. And, of course, uh, we saw in verses 2, 3, and 4 that Paul was a steward. He, God had made him a steward. He was responsible for a truth. Um, this truth of Jews and Gentiles both saved by Christ and made into one in Christ's body. Uh, and, and then we saw that what, had, what God had concealed for many, many years in the Old Testament, now he wanted that truth to be revealed, and, and Paul's a prisoner for this truth, and, and God wants you and me to be dedicated to living out this, what used to be a mystery, but now is a glorious truth that's revealed. Uh, let's pick up and read in verse number 10. Would you with me? Ephesians chapter number 3, 
I'll begin reading in verse number 10. I'm going to read down through verse number 21 for sake of context, but we're not going to have time to preach through it all this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 10, down through verse number 21. It says this, um, let's start in verse 9. He says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship, the stewardship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations, for you which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, or the whole fatherhood, in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What a, what a powerful passage. Keep in mind, before we pray, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are very much doctrinal. They're theological. They're rich in theology. They're very rich in doctrine. And really what Paul is doing is he's laying the groundwork. He's building a foundation upon which he wants the church of Ephesus to make some application. He wants their lives to be different than the way they are when he writes this letter to them. And and so he's laying this foundation. He's saying, this is what you have in Christ. You're not alone. You're not a pauper. You're not poor. You are wealthy in Christ. You have everything that you need in Christ. This is what he's done for you. That's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And then he's going to come to the second three chapters, the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and he's going to say, because of what you have in Christ, this is how you should live. And he's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to talk about parents and children. He's going to talk about church members. He's going to talk about forgiveness. He's going to talk about kindness, real practical things. And, uh, and he's going to say, all of this is what you can do and how you can live when going through the trials and, and hardships of life because of what Christ has done for you. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at uh, these truths in chapter 3. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would meet with us today in a special way. Give us what we need, I pray. Help us, I pray, by your Holy Spirit to understand these truths. And Lord, I pray 
that we would be closer to you, that you would stabilize our walk um, in our lives as we go through this life and this sin-cursed earth. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Uh, So last week we saw from the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, the first part of chapter 3, really verses 1 down through verse 9, that we have been enlightened, okay? And we've been enlightened. Enlightened with what? We now know something that we didn't formally know. And that is, again, the Jews and Gentiles, both sinners, um, Christ dying for both of us, both of us being saved by faith in Christ, made into one body in Christ, and indwelt by the Spirit of God. Uh, One body in Christ. That was the mystery. And now we know about that. But now he goes on, and in a few verses, he tells us, not only have you been enlightened, but you've been exalted. You You have a lofty position. Not only are you not a pauper, not only are you not spiritually poor and outside of the covenants, without hope in this world, but no, you have hope in Christ. You are... Uh, one of God's children, you, God has made covenants to you. You are very wealthy spiritually, but not only that, you have been exalted. You have some spiritual blessings that you need to be aware of. And then he's going to go one step further, and he's going to say, you have everything that you need for today. You've been enabled. You've been enabled. But first of all, notice with me that we are exalted. Notice in verse number 10, uh, verse number 10, he says this, To the intent... God's done all of these things. He's made Jew and Gentiles uh, in one body in Christ, all who believe upon Christ, to the intent, for the purpose, that now unto the principalities and powers, that is, he's talking about uh, angelic host, in heavenly places, that they might be known, these things, this mystery might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, where uh, in verse 12 now, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And in those verses, he really what he's saying is you've been exalted. There's some wonderful blessings that you have in Christ. In other words, When Jesus Christ was exalted after his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, when Jesus Christ was exalted, you, in Christ, have also been exalted. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 9. He says this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Christ, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we are exalted in Christ. But what does that mean practically? Well, that's what Paul talks about here in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Because in Christ, it's an exalted position, but it's also a testimony of victory. It's also uh, the revelation of an eternal plan, a plan that God had forever, 
He didn't come up with a plan. You know, you and I come up with plans. God always had this plan. It was eternal from the beginning. This idea of Jews and Gentiles being saved in Christ and in one body. It's always been God's plan. And then it's also a place of exaltation because we have absolute access to God. Now, for most of us today here at Trinity Baptist Church, that's not a new revelation. Most of us know and have known for many years of our lives that we have had, those of us who are saved by Christ Jesus, we have access to God the Father. Most of us know that. So sometimes when we know things for a long time, you know, it gets a little boring, a little mundane. We take it for granted sometimes, things that are really incredible. But, But remember the context here. He's talking to the Gentiles and he's saying, You have something now that you never used to have. You used to be dead, but now you're alive. There were no covenants made for you. God never made a promise to you in the world. But he has included you in those promises. In fact, he has made a very specific promise to you. You had no access to God before, but now you have access to God. And and, and that's what he's getting at here. We've been exalted in Christ. Uh, The church, really, the church... In in verses 9 and 10, he tells us that the church is a declaration to the angels of God's wisdom. Look again at verse number 9. Verse number 9, he says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, Now he tells us the purpose for this mystery to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers, unto the angelic host in heavenly places might be known the manifold wisdom of God. I left out a part. God wants, and he used the church the baptizing of the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles by Jesus Christ into one body. God has used the church to communicate and educate even the angelic host as to his wisdom. I'll say it another way. When the angels of heaven look at the church, they better know the wisdom of Almighty God. That's what he's saying. When the angels of heaven, and by the way, the demons of the evil one, look at the church, they better understand that God, all wisdom belongs to him. You know, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to have wisdom and know what to do about something. It's one thing to be able to look at a situation and go, wow, I've got a problem. that's That's a form of knowledge. The car doesn't run. Good, you have knowledge. You know that. But having the wisdom and the resources to fix the problem is a different different thing altogether. And so the angels knew a lot about God's plan, but they didn't know about this part of it. And so when the angels of heaven look at the church, they are enlightened as to the wisdom of God. Not only does he know what the issues are and the problems were, but he also was wise enough to be able to formulate a plan and put it together and execute it 
to save Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, don't forget, God had concealed his plan to to make both the Jews and the Gentiles one in Christ. And Paul really is telling us that God wants to declare his wisdom to the angelic beings through the church. God is educating the angels as they watch his plan, his church unfold. When you read the words there in verse number 10, principalities and powers, Paul is talking about angelic beings, both good and evil. Look back with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 21. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 21. We'll notice he uses this term, principalities and powers, several times. In verse 21 he says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And then look in Ephesians still over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse number 12. Chapter 6 and verse number 12. Paul's going to be talking to us about our our daily walk with the Lord and the battles, the spiritual battles that we deal with. And in verse 12 he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of you, even today, are under a tremendous amount of stress, or this past week. And, uh, and, And you feel the strain. And Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you realize that? Sometimes you and I go through life like there is no spiritual battle at all. Sometimes we look at every situation like this is easily remedied if we just get together on the matter. We just need to figure it out. Sometimes there are spiritual battles, oftentimes I would say, there are spiritual battles that are taking place between angelic hosts that are good and righteous, following and serving God Almighty, and and, uh, demonic beings that are following and serving the evil one. Turn over to Colossians, would you? Colossians chapter 1. We're not far away, just a couple of, just one letter over. Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. In verse number 16. We'll not be here long, but I want you to see this. Verse number 16, he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Look over to chapter 2 in Colossians, in verse number 15. Colossians 2 in verse 15. He says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Talking about his resurrection, him overcoming the the host of the evil one, the host of the devil. Look back to our text in Ephesians chapter 3. But I want you to understand this, angels are created beings. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything And the angelic beings didn't know what God was doing. In fact, the Apostle Peter indicates during the Old Testament time that the angels were curious as to what God was doing. He talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, we're told that the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. 
He says it this way, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10 tells us that angels watch when believers assemble. And so what are the angels learning as they watch the church? And the answer is there in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, the latter part of verse 10, he says, They are learning, they are better understanding the manifold wisdom of God. And, and that term, manifold wisdom, has the idea of many-colored, or it might have the idea of a diamond, where, where you look at it from one angle and you see certain colors, but if you look at it from another angle, you see different colors, you see different, how beautiful it is. Wow, look at that. And you can, if you have the right light, you can see how beautiful it is. Wow, look at that. That is incredible. What a, what a beautiful piece of jewelry that is. Well, that's the idea of this word, the manifold wisdom of God. And so, when, the, when, when the, the principalities and powers, the angelic hosts, both good and evil, look at the church, the diversity in the church, uh, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, they literally are brought into an awe of the wisdom of God. And, and, and that is our position in Christ. It's an exalted position. From whichever direction you view God's wisdom, wonderful new truths are seen. I had a new believer recently, I think it was this past week, he was talking to me about the Word of God. He said, you, you can't exhaust it. Every time I hear it or read it, there's something new. I can read the same thing. It's the verse I have memorized, and yet there's something new. And it's incredible, the wisdom of God. And so the angels are seeing the variety and the wisdom in God's great plan of salvation. But what about the evil angels? What about the demonic forces of Satan who were cast out of heaven? What are they learning as they watch the mystery of the church unfold? Well, they are learning that their leader, Satan, is not very wise. That's what they're learning. Can you, can, did you hear what I just said? Uh, in this passage, when he says, to the intent that the, the principalities and powers can see the manifold wisdom of God in the church... That ought to encourage your heart and mine. That we would walk with the Lord. That we would say yes to His Spirit. That He could have His way in our lives, in His church, to His glory. So that the principalities and powers that you and I can't see, the good angels, could look at us and say, glory to God. Or that maybe the demonic forces of Satan could look at us and say, wow, we made a mistake. God is wise. And the being that we followed in Satan is very unwise. We've lost the battle. They ought to be able to see that by looking at our lives. Satan knows the Bible. He, he, knew, uh, he knew from the Old Testament scripture that the Savior would come. He knew from the Old Testament prophecies when the Savior would come. He knew from the Word of God how the Savior would come and where Jesus Christ would come. And and Satan even knew why Jesus Christ would come, to redeem sinful man. But nowhere in the Old Testament could Satan find any reference to what God had planned for Jew and Gentiles alike. Born again in Christ, forgiven of their sins in Christ, one In Christ, Satan couldn't fathom one body of believing Jews and Gentiles seated in the heavenlies in Christ and completely victorious over him. 
He had no clue. Had Satan known, I imagine he might have altered his plans to some degree. But God hid his great plan from the beginning of the world. It was a mystery for hundreds and hundreds of years. But God's plan is not hidden anymore. And more than that, God has made you and me as his church stewards of his plan. And he talks about that in verse 9. The fellowship, the stewardship of this mystery. This sacred secret that was so important to Paul and so sacred and important to the Gentiles and to his angels, to the angels of God, is now in our hands. We've been exalted in Christ. It's a, we're a testimony of the victory of God. I also notice that this plan is an eternal plan. Uh, verse number 11, notice that the church has always been a part of God's plan. Verse 11. He says in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse number 11, he says this, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's plan to make Jews and Gentiles one in Christ, to save us, to make us one in the church, Christ as our head, has always been God's plan. Another way I could say this is, God didn't come up with this plan when, when Adam sinned. God didn't come up with this plan when, when the, Jew, the Jewish nation of Israel began to break their covenants with Almighty God and, and uh, commit fornication with the nations of the world around them or commit a, a spiritual adultery or fall into idolatry with the nations around them. God didn't say, oh, what am I going to do? I've got to come up with a plan B. That's not what... What we are, we're not plan B. God knew, because he is omniscient, he knows all things, he knew, he has always known, this was part of his plan, the church. God made plans for the church before time ever began. God wasn't surprised by Lucifer's fall or or by Adam's sin. God foreknew that mankind was going to sin, he foreknew the sorrow that we would, and the suffering that would come by sin. He foreknew our shame and our separation from him. God knew all that was going to happen, and God had a plan, and not a new one, an eternal plan. God's plan was the cross of Christ on a skull-shaped hill on a rebel planet in a remote part of the galaxy. And on that cross... God displayed his love and his wisdom and his power as a means of redeeming fallen men and rebuking fallen angels. And God had his church in mind before he created the stars and before he even created the world. The church is a part of his plan. It's an eternal plan. We're exalted in Christ. We have a testimony of victory, an eternal plan. And then also we have absolute access to the, to the Father. Notice in verse number 12, he says it this way. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Because of the faith of Christ, you and I have boldness. We can have boldness to come before God Almighty. And and we have access, complete access to our Heavenly Father. The church has complete access to God. Every one of us who have been born again have confident access into God's presence. We can draw near to him in his rainbow-encircled throne, as we've read about and studied in Revelation. 
his cherubim guarded throne, his exalted throne. We can come into the presence of God without pomp and ceremony, without ritualistic preparations, without a human mediator. We can come directly to God at any time, day or night. We can come to him with the confidence of a son or a daughter. I love my children so much. I love when they come to me and ask me for things. I do. Now, if they ask 20 times for the wrong thing, I might get a little annoyed. But frankly, I love it when they come to me. I do. I love it. I'm still at a point where, you know, William can't tie his shoes and he needs my help. I I love meeting his needs. I love helping him. I'm not looking forward to it, frankly, the day where they don't need my help anymore. Now, in some ways, I am. But mostly, I I love the stage of life we're at right now. I do. I absolutely love it. I think if I could push the pause button right here, I would. I love it. It's fun. It's it's trying sometimes. Uh, But it's, it's so much fun. I love it. And my children all have complete access to me. Um, My parents don't live far away from the church. And uh, on occasion, I'll go over to their home for lunch, for a sandwich, or something like that. And uh, I'll I'll go, I'll pull in the driveway, knock on the door, you know. And uh, if they don't come right away, you know, I pull out my key, I'll unlock the, the, the door if it's locked. Or if it's unlocked, I'll just go right in. Take off my shoes up my jacket, walk in. If they're not in the great room there, you know, I can go over and open the refrigerator and take something out and get a drink. Or if I walk in and it's not for lunch, mom or dad will ask me, can I get you something? I have access to my parents. If I pulled into my parents' driveway one day and uh, there was somebody standing outside the door and they said, uh, you have to wait right here, I'd say, who are you? get out of my way. This is my dad's house. I have access into my dad's house. And you know, you and I have access into our daddy's house, and I use that term very reverently, into our father's house, to his throne room. God, almighty God, you and I have access to his throne. You and I have an exalted position in Christ. And that's what Paul is telling these believers. You've been enlightened. You're a part of this mystery that's no longer a mystery. You've been enlightened. You know what you're a part of, but you're also exalted. You are a testimony of Christ's victory. You are a testimony of Christ's victory. And and you have always been a part of God's plan. It's an eternal plan. And you have absolute access into the throne room of God. Notice verse number 13. He continues And he says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It's your honor. This mystery is to your honor. And I'm I'm facing tribulations and trials, Paul is saying. Uh, It's true. I'm 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 in a Roman prison right now as as I'm dictating these words to be written down. They're going to be sent to you. You're going to receive them. But even right now, don't you faint for me. Don't you dare give up because of the hardship that I'm going through for you. You Don't don't you dare give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You know, Paul tells the Ephesian believers not to faint. Don't give up because of the severity of the hardship 
that he was going through. He was suffering so that they could know the truth. All of a sudden, it seems Paul is brought back to reality. And he goes from telling the Ephesian believers about the majestic purpose of God, the church, and the wonderful love of God, whereby they all had access into his throne room. And all of a sudden, in verse 13, he, kind of, he starts talking about tribulations and don't faint and don't give up. And I wonder if Paul's... I wonder if Paul's and, and he was under house arrest, but I wonder if, I wonder if the, uh, the jailer rattled the chain. Or I wonder if the jailer, that, the Roman soldier that was in the room with him, I wonder if he began to laugh out loud at Paul. If the Roman soldier could speak Greek, he would have understood every word that Paul was writing or saying. He was speaking the words. Look at the end of Ephesians uh, chapter 6, the end of chapter 6. It's not one of our verses, but if you'll notice after verse 24 in my Bible, it says, written from Rome unto the Ephesians by Tychicus. Tychicus was what we call an amanuensis. I haven't used that word in a while, have you? Amanuensis. You know what it was? It basically was a secretary. And Paul was dictating the letter to Tychicus, and Tychicus was writing it down in Greek, and then he would deliver the letter to the Ephesian believers. So Paul is in a Roman prison, house arrest. He's sitting there. I don't know if he's chained up, though many think uh, they were chained up to a Roman soldier. He's sitting there, and Tychicus is allowed into the cell. the Holy Spirit of God has been giving Paul the words that need to go to the Ephesian church. And it's the book of Ephesians. It's a letter. It's a formal letter. It's an epistle. And so Paul is speaking the words to Tychicus, and he's writing down the words. But there would have been a Roman soldier in the room. And I don't know, maybe as Paul is talking about these wonderful riches and access and liberty and victory that you have in Christ. I wonder if the Roman soldiers begin to laugh. What are you talking about, Paul? You're in prison, Paul. You're going to stand before Nero, Paul. And you're probably not going to make it. And you're talking to these people about the riches that they have in Christ? Paul, you've lost your mind. I'm reminded of Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he had besought the Lord thrice that that thorn in the flesh would depart from him. And God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And Paul responded to the Lord and he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I will count my infirmities as to my honor that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in reproaches, in necessities. And he goes down through this list. And I will take pleasure in these things for Christ's sake. And he says, because when I am poor, that's when I'm rich. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong in Christ. I have everything that I need. We've already talked about it to some degree, but as Paul sits in this prison and he tells them in verse 13, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. 
I'm reminded of some of the things that God revealed and accomplished through the Apostle Paul while he was in a Roman prison. I'll read a list. Galatians. Ephesians. Philippians. Colossians. 2 Timothy. And Philemon. All from a Roman prison. I don't know about you, but there are times in our lives where all we want is for the trial to end. We just want the trial to end. You just get tired. Just tired. I I just, and and you say, I just can't, I just can't do it anymore. I got to remove myself from the trial. I got to put myself in a place where I can just go, ah, this is better. No trial here. But it's in the times of trial that God reveals to him, himself to us in a greater way that we would never know him if we were not going through the trial. Was it not Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed? Jesus Christ now, in human flesh, and it's hard for us to comprehend, but 100% God, he was Christ, the Messiah, the creator of the heavens and the earth, indwelling a human body, human flesh, a man named Jesus, with a human name, Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot with a kiss And he prays to his heavenly father and he says, Jesus says, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Paul's saying to these believers, don't faint. You have a race to run. And when you look at my hardship and you see me and you hear me in a Roman prison and you wonder, why is Paul in prison? God, why would you allow Paul to be in prison? Don't you dare faint. Don't you dare give up. What I'm doing is for your honor and your glory, for the glory of God through you.